Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wild Bo's most unloved work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And uh, before we jump into the chapter today, uh, we just had a bit of an announcement, which is uh, we've uh, gotten together with Speed Chuck, who some of you may know as the guy doing a packed audiobook. Uh, and we, we've actually helped him set that up as a podcast. So that's available on our website, MediaMDPodcast.com. Yep, you don't need to just listen to it on Bandcamp anymore. Um, yes. You can now search and find the Packed Audiobook Project on all major podcast players, you know. So if you want to listen along to it while you are kind of diving deeper into Packed with us, then uh, you can find it. Yeah, and and so I think there's just two episodes uh, up there at the moment, but uh, I believe Speed Chuck's right up to somewhere in Arc 3, so there'll probably be a lot more soon. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but no, it should be it should be fun, and this will get you know his his work out there uh, a lot more, and and you know I think uh, take a bit of the uh, you know maintenance out of his hands, all the housekeeping, and hopefully just let him throw out the audiobook chapters because it's easier. Yeah, easier said than done. Yep, it's uh, well read. It's a good good audiobook, and it's a great way to experience it a bit you know slower pace, and you don't have to uh, <laughs> worry <laughs> about speeding ahead too quickly, like I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners are doing. <laughs> yep. Um, so shall we jump into Bonds 1.7, the last yes. non-interlude chapter of Bonds? Yes, let's do it. So uh, I guess we need to sum up what happened at the end of 1.6. Blake went upstairs to find a spooky demon, and it wasn't seemingly uh, where it should have been. It wasn't where Granny Rose left it. Um, so yeah. Blake <laughs> Blake responds to this pretty great, uh, just by shutting the door and going away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just sort of like, oh, okay, and yeah, just runs back down the stairs to tell Rose, I guess. Yeah, uh, which is a great strategy. Oh, this scary demon isn't where I thought it would be. All right, let's just shut this door and head out. Um, Um, Obviously, it makes sense. I just want to give a little (laughs) shout out. This episode opens just with the line in italics, like, damn it, which is just a nice little throwback to how the first chapter opened. Like, I don't think there's, there's a very significant thematic tie-in between those two that I can think of. Well, but... you know, we're ending the first arc as it kind of started, right? Yeah, um, exactly. But <laughs> I think Blake has a lot more to be angry about uh, in this <laughs> chapter. Um, and speaking of being angry, Rose gets very angry at him for just heading upstairs to kind of talk to a demon without, like, running it by her. I mean, it's hard not to be on her side. Yeah. At least at the start of this argument, she raises some pretty good points. He just kind of ran off without her. Yeah. Yeah, and unprepared. He claims he, he kind of bullshits. He he claims he was prepared and and then he says, "Oh, I thought it might have killed Molly, but I don't remember him ever thinking anything like that." Like yep. I guess he's just, you know, he spoilers, he awakens later in this chapter and I guess he's just getting some good lies in before he can't do that anymore. <laughs> um yeah, his kind of justification that we get to is that he living on the streets, he has honed his instincts and now he trusts his instincts. Um so playing uh Baba Torum's advocate here I think it's easy to say he didn't think about, oh, it, he wasn't thinking, oh, this might have killed Molly. He was following his instincts. But um, I kind of agree with you that he was kind of yeah. just <laughs> making bad decisions, I think. I mean, also, like, and and Rose Rose kind of calls him out on this a little bit. She she takes a slightly different angle. But just because those instincts worked for you on the streets, I don't necessarily think that's going to map very well yeah. to all this really dark magic shit like that that there's not yeah. necessarily much of a guarantee that the instincts that work on one work on the other um i have a yeah. feeling you know this story is quite long so maybe they do i mean things 
I think that the running theme of the story so far is that magic in this world doesn't work how you would expect it to. And so trusting your instincts means you're going to run right into any kind of magical traps that, that kind of exist in the way it works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, yeah, he's he's had a few instances, like his instinct to just keep moving uh, when he first was encountering those bird mask things at the start, that worked yep. out. But uh, yeah. his instinct to go out with lead, he probably didn't. So, yeah. uh, yep. you know, it's there's not there's not a general trend one way or the other yet. Yeah, I'm sure he will learn after he pays some kind of <laughs> price. Um, so they're arguing for a bit, and then Blake just kind of, I guess, kind of gets tired of the conversation, wraps it up quickly, and starts reading <laughs> about Barbatorum. And Molly's kind of like, "I have more to say here," but uh, you know, Blake kind of gives her the old book off. Yeah, he's just kind of like, "No, nah, we need to do this now," and yeah. You're the one stuck in the mirror. Let's just do what I say. Yeah, uh, and and through reading uh, more about Barbatorum, we get this great bit of world building. Um, <laughs> and I love this. It's basically like paragraphs and paragraphs describing how Barbatorum works, like how this specific yeah. other functions and the rules for it. And I, I compare it to like a horror movie where part of the fun of a horror movie is you've got characters in a situation where there's some monster or whatever chasing them, and you know the rules of it, and it seems kind of insurmountable to get away from this monster. But that only works if you know the capabilities of what it can do. You know how they can yeah. potentially outsmart it, right? Um, and that's what makes it fun, and that's what makes it tense, is can the characters kind of figure out a way to get around the rules of this thing? Yeah, definitely. And that's basically <laughs> what these you know, six or seven chapters are. It's just, here's a bunch of rules for how this thing works. Have have fun. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and this is our first real deep dive into a specific chunk of law. Like everything yeah. everything I've sort of learned right now has kind of just been them parroting stuff secondhand or or something, but it's all been quite generic, like this is a rule for others. This is yeah. uh a rule for practitioners. This is the first time where we're really focusing in on just one kind of, you know, medium level demon in this world and just getting an idea for all the detail that there is and how terrifying it all is. Yep. Um, there's a great bit in there about how Rose Senior, like, uh, what's the word, lured it uh, by yeah. <laughs> making this big ma- mound of carcasses and putting a, a, a young baby as the centerpiece of this bait pile. Um, and obviously, we know <laughs> which young babies Rose Senior had access to, <laughs> so it's pretty yeah. fun to think about. Well, even I think even Blake, Blake makes a joke about how his auntie or uncle got gets mentions in the book um yeah my, my favorite bit though was was after it was just when rose senior's like um to quote the author cannot say whether he was attracted to the virgin aspect or the innocent but the author was nonetheless happy to have an option at hand that served both purposes <laughs> that's cold, it, that's cold rose <laughs> yeah it's just oh um, you know i i do have this one-year-old child that'll do so i mean we're just going to be talking about barbatorum for a while now right like yeah shit. i think so uh, so, diving more into these paragraphs, it's, Barbatorum has this great set of horror where it's, I think you kind of expect the, the more mundane torture level of horror, from Wabo especially. He does yep. a very kind of like, to the pain from Princess Bride style thing where he will cut off people's limbs and leave them alive, just kind of limbless and tongueless trying to desperately survive, right? Yeah, he, he manages to injure you a bunch, but then sort of fixes you up just enough so that you'll die of dehydration or starvation before yeah. succumbing to the injuries, which is horrifying. 
And this is the kind of body horror that we might expect from Wild Bo, but then Barbatorum can... It's kind of juxtaposed with these other messed up things Barbatorum can do, like denying you access to heaven. He can kind of sever <laughs> your ability to go to heaven, which is fucking bonkers. Yeah, so, I mean, first of all, that's our kind of more confirmation that there's like a good place and bad place, like we talked about yeah. earlier. But yeah, I love this sort of one-two punch where Wildbo hits you with all this body horror and you think, oh, wow, like Barbatorum's really bad. And then he chucks in the metaphysical horror, which is even worse of, Oh, but, you know, after he, you know, gives you these horrifying few weeks uh, being half dead, also then you don't get to go to heaven, which is like, <laughs> just even more terrifying because that's eternal. Yeah, 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 like death won't even save you from this. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the other thing that's cool about this is we get we get kind of this insight into how practitioners can make different kinds of deals with others, um, kind of exemplified by Bar- Barbatorum, right? So, yeah. Um, you can make a deal to make Barbatorum be used kind of offensively to go and hunt down a, a practitioner. And I think this is what Rose recommends uh, in the yeah. textbook. Yes, because Barbatorum is unique in that he's able to bypass a lot of defenses. Um, yeah. Although not enter the house of someone who is unawakened. Hmm. Uh, or you can use Barbatorum, you can make a deal with him for kind of utility effects, right? So um, he will offer you expert skill in medicine in exchange for enough blood to make you pass out. He will extend your lifespan by, you know, half or 25 years at the cost of forever smelling blood and rot. Or he can um, he can give you ever sharpened blades that never dull in exchange for enough flayed skin to fill two <laughs> cupped hands. Um, and I like that, again, we, we kind of seem to get to flayed skin again. Uh, yeah. So that's great, Wabo. <laughs> Twice in one, in one arc, we, we're talking about flayed skin here. I just love, I just love how it's all written in a in a such an academic like textbook format. Like all these paragraphs, like <laughs> it just really sells Rose Senior as as a bit of a psycho, and probably the whole practitioner world as quite psychotic. Um, yeah, just just how it's it's all. Oh yeah, and, and you know you can you can add twenty five years to your life, but you'll smell blood and rot and burning hair forever. Um, but yeah, know, of course. <laughs> I like the idea of Rose Senior kind of sitting there managing a ledger that's like the exchange rates for what you can get from different <laughs> demons for different amounts of flayed skin. Like, oh, Barbatorum, you know, you'll give me ever sharpened blades, but for one and a half cups of flayed skin, I can get, you know, $1,000 <laughs> from this other demon. So, yeah, haggling the amount of flayed skin. <laughs> what about one and a half cupped hands for <laughs> blades that never dull? Uh, anyway, so. Um, we kind of talk more about some of the others, um, and Rose, while Blake is reading about Barbatorum, Rose is kind of researching other things that come up, so um, how to defend yourself against others in general, some history of, of kind of human relationships with others, who the first people to kind of make deals with others were, and how that started, and, and just kind of giving us more bits and bobs of backstory that kind of come into it. Yeah, and it overlaps a bit with stuff we've already sort of heard. Like, I think there are other mentions that alluded to this and this is the more concrete idea that others all sort of come from somewhere like it doesn't really seem like there's this concept that there are a bunch of others that have existed you know since the universe began um yeah i mean it even seems to be implying to me that they can start out as mortals or humans and and somehow get turned into others Mm. which you know i'm sort of thinking because of the bird skull creatures in in the first two chapters that you know those those sort of line up with that idea but, you know, yeah, so it's still a little unclear, but I like this idea that others just aren't eternal. They're, they've all come from somewhere and ones from different eras will have different uh, properties. Is 
is that the best yeah. word? <laughs> Abilities? <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I was I was sort of speculating in the notes here. Like, I wonder if this has something to do with the nukes that everyone's been talking about. Like, it'd be if Rose Senior had figured out a way to make powerful others, that would certainly be mm. a very powerful skill to have. I, I'm pretty sure in either this chapter or the previous one, Blake refers to Barbatorum as one of these nukes, right? Whether that's just his inference or yes, um, or you know, supported by the text later on or whatever. Yeah, he sort of he calls it a nuke because he was reaching for one of the books. He assumes the the nukes are in, and the letter falls out that gives him the key to Barbatorum. So yeah, he's kind of been working off the assumption that this is part of all that. Do you have that assumption? Um, I I don't just because it's only arc one. Um, so kind of, sure, <laughs> things can always get worse. That's uh, that's that's not information Blake has uh at hand. Yeah. But yeah, that that's sort of <laughs> I I'm thinking things are going to get a lot worse uh by the time yeah. we figure out what these nukes are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you know they spend the first half of this chapter reading about Barbatorum, uh, <laughs> and then uh, Blake and Rose decide to start their awakening process to actually become practitioners. Yes, which I, I'd kind of misunderstood what this was earlier on, but it, it's just basically getting magical sight, I guess. It's the first step to being able to use magic is just being yeah. able to see and be aware of it. Yeah, totally. Um, and kind of doing a ritual to opt into the magical world, right? Um, yeah, essentially. So we get information throughout this whole arc that a number of others and things basically will, for the most part, keep away from unawakened people uh, in order to kind of keep the balance, right? Yeah, and I think in the third chapter when Rose Senior gave them the note, she mentioned that becoming a practitioner is kind of like opening a door and that opens it both ways. And even yeah. I think she even says becoming a practitioner is kind of like becoming a bit of another. So it's definitely yeah. you, you're gaining power, but you're opening yourself up to a lot by becoming a practitioner as yeah. well. Yeah, it's like opting into a pretty dangerous lifestyle, right? Yes, exactly. Um, so... They they first kind of start collecting their ingredients for this ritual. Yeah. And there's this interesting bit where it's different from Blake. The the ingredients listed for Blake are slightly different to those for Rose. Yeah. Um. And it's kind of, it, it's funny because it happens just as they kind of get back on the same page and they're like working together. <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. there's this difference kind of hammered out. And it's like, just, just to remind you that things here aren't copacetic. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 well timed. Uh, yeah, and so that's a bit of a what the heck is going on kind of moment. But I think yeah. we're going to talk about that a bit later. Um, and then they have to choose something that is important to them, right? And we're we're starting to get on the yeah. sense of like, you know, familiars and domains and implements are, are symbolic to the kind of person they are. And so Blake starts thinking about this and uh, almost chooses a paintbrush. So that prediction from a few chapters back is is close. <laughs> But then chooses the keys to Joel's car, which he still has, which kind of symbolize his friendship and his ownership of, of things and freedom. Yeah, well, I hope Joel has a spare set of keys. <laughs> yep. Oh, so I, I like your tie back to um to how it, it, it symbolizes his want to be debt free. Um, yeah, totally. Because that's that's how he got a hold of, of those keys, by giving up his, his actual keys. Yep. Um, and obviously... Debts are pretty much on Blake's mind at this point as he's buying yes. into his grandmother's <laughs> karmic debt. Yeah, and I'm a little disappointed we didn't get to see what Rose picked for her awakening. Um, yeah. Blake almost gets a look, but he doesn't snoop hard enough, and I'm a little disappointed in him uh, yeah. for not, not being snoopy enough. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's a bit in his own head about the ritual this time. Um, yeah. So they get naked again f- for the second time in this arc um, <laughs> and start basically reading this ritual from a book. Um, and it has yeah. the the ritual in its original language, the phonetic spelling and the English meaning. Um, yeah. And it's it's great, the escalation of this ritual. They start off reading the words, kind of struggling to pronounce the phonetic meanings of them and not really knowing what they're saying. But as they kind of continue, you, you get this sense that they the magic kind of starts entering their bodies and they just kind of become innately aware of of the ritual. They they just kind of know what to do, right? Yeah. Well and there, and there's this whole thing, like first the bowls that they've put all around them just start moving. Then some of them start sinking into the floor to the point where Blake yep. doesn't even want to look at it because he's worried it'll like break his brain. Um yep. and, and it just sort of keeps getting like there's this escalation sense that like reality keeps getting weirder and weirder as they go on. Yeah. Um and yep. they're getting but at the same time they're getting more and more comfortable with what's happening. So it's it's sort of, you know, very sort of tracks how they're entering this new world. Yeah. And there's a great bit as the bowls kind of pass in front of them where they they start reciting what the things in these bowls represent. Yeah, it becomes like a little bit of a word association game. Um <laughs> yep. Uh rather than reciting and, and I love it's a great way to sort of talk about how Blake and Rose are different. Like they start off the same. They both say the dagger means war. They both say the hourglass means time, which you know there's a mm. fairly easy ones. Then then there's a skull and I think Blake says doom and Rose says death, which is yep, pretty similar basically but the same. Uh, yeah. a little bit different. And then we get a coin and this is really their first one. I think Blake calls it fortune and and Rose says ruin. Um yeah. which I think really highlights, you know, in her timeline, she was one of the women involved with this whole inheritance bullshit. Yeah. Um and, and so she must just associate money with, you know, everything going wrong from from that. Yeah. 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 Uh and and then and, there's a lifeless rose which you know Blake likens to his family which you know is seems to be how he thinks of his family so that's fair. <laughs> uh and then Rose calls it a Rose refers to it as herself which is yeah uh a bit of a self burn. Yeah, I mean, you can get her perspective where she this arc really is hammering home the differences between Rose and Blake, right? Yeah, and, exactly. So this must be weighing on her so much and more as we'll get to when when her ritual doesn't really work. Yeah, and there's this great bit. So then at the end, Blake and Rose kind of have to give speeches on their personal thing, basically selling yeah. it to the spirits, saying this is why this is important to me. And again, yeah. Blake's too busy with his own stuff to be snooping. So he only catches the final ro- line of Rose's where she just says not just something like not a vestige. Uh, yeah. And I really want to know more about that. Like, was she talking about herself or? yeah. Yeah, so I, you I know, we found out about that. vestiges earlier in the earlier in the arc, and so it's pretty easy to think that from Rose's lifeless Rose comment and her line there being about vestiges that she's, uh, I don't know, trying to sell herself as more than just a reflection. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, ritual complete, and they have magic. It's what every eleven-year-old boy in England dreams about. They can You're cast a wizard, spells. Like, yep, totally. Uh, but Rose does not become a witch, uh, or she kind of does. It's it's a bit ambiguous. Um, yeah. Rose's running theory is it worked for her, so she won't be able to tell lies, but she doesn't feel like there's any magic or spirits or energy on her side of the mirror. So she doesn't 
while she's a practitioner, she can't really use it in any meaningful way. Yeah, and there's this great bit because they both try the movement spell uh, to try it out and it obviously works for Blake and then Rose tries to do it and it doesn't work and her claim is partially because she doesn't actually have blood to offer, which both kind of informs me that the spell was powered by the spirits wanting to consume human blood, which is creepy on its own level. (laughs) Uh, And then also just reminding you of how miserable Rose's existence kind of is that she... Not only does she not have blood or a real body, but it's at the point where all the spirits seem to be rejecting it, which is just yeah. an extra layer of fuck you on top of it. Yeah, and she kind of understandably gets annoyed slash upset by this and, and kind of half storms off. Um, yeah. And and Blake checks on Barbatorum and this time sees him. He climbs out of the shears and Blake's like, nope, not going to deal with this and just leaves um, and heads off to prepare for the council meeting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think they're both pretty reasonable. Like, Rose gets angry, but she doesn't really take it out on Blake, like I think he has done a couple of times to her. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's understandably upset, right, because I think it was a long shot at best that this was going to work for her, but she doesn't really have anything else to pin her hopes on at this stage, so uh, I kind of get that she would have done that. Um, mm. You know, Barbatorum is just sort of sitting here as a bit of a Chekhov's gun, I guess. Uh, we're not using yeah. him yet, but he's been... He's been pretty well established this chapter, so I, I I definitely have a feeling he'll be back. I'm sure he won't be. I'm sure they'll just keep him up there in case <laughs> they need him, and nothing bad will happen, and then the story will end. Yeah, Arc 16, someone will be like, oh, shit, yeah, Barbatorum, let's go. Oh, we forgot about Barbatorum. <laughs> oh, well, we've converted that into our mansion now, so he'll just have to stay there. Um. Anyway, so that's the end of, uh, of <laughs> Bonds 1.7. Um. This uh, episode, we decided we're going to highlight some comments from five years back again. Um, so let's kind of dive into those. Yeah, there's no need to do a, a monster corner because the uh, chapter kind of already did it for us. <laughs> yeah, totally. The chapter dove into Barbatorum a lot. Um, <laughs> a comment I really liked from five years ago was one from somebody called Zedadarian, which is an interesting name. Um, but it kind of comes back to the idea of Blake's instincts as his method of survival. Um yeah. We don't get we don't get much characterization on Molly, but we do know that she was reclusive and she was pretty she kept to herself and then she died after four months. Um yeah. and so Zedadarian is saying, you know, Blake is taking risks, he is kind of playing things by ear a bit, but Molly was in this situation and she played it safe and she died. So <laughs> Zedadarian is kind of defending Blake's approach as maybe it's a bit uh Maybe it's a bit thoughtless at times, but it, it at least it's not exactly what Molly was doing, which was playing it too safe. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't have the details on exactly how Molly ended up being getting in danger and getting killed, but um, yeah. she definitely seemed like the type to play it safe. And, and you know, this is this is kind of what Laird was talking about. They're, they seemed like, like, Molly seems like exactly the sort of person Laird would have wanted sitting there, like, without knowing too much about her, so... Yeah, Someone exactly. like Blake, who is just kind of a bit unorthodox or a bit unpredictable. Um, you know, it's such a shitty situation where I think uh, Zedadarian's right. There's so many, so much high, so much likelihood that he's going to die. That someone who's kind of a bit more of a wild card, probably an yeah. asset uh, to them. Someone who takes risks. I mean, it's a low chance of success, but so is Blake's life in general, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so then I've I've picked a comment by Ace of Diamonds, or no, sorry, just Ace Diamonds, mm-hmm. uh, who who just sort of brought up the fact that he uh, when Blake picked keys as his personal thing, um, that's not just symbolic for him, but I also liked the note that uh, 
keys symbolize freedom, which Rose doesn't have. So it is it is just kind of differentiating uh, differentiating them a bit, mm. um, which I just thought was a was a great little insight. And then there's there's a response to that. Uh, just a couple of comments down by a user called Notes, who who just kind of they start talking. He, Notes and, and some people responding to him start talking about the difference between iron and and holly berries, which were the two ingredients mm. that uh, differentiated their two rituals. Um, yeah. And and this sort of sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole, uh, looking into you know the sim the traditional symbolism of holly and and also iron, mm. um, and, and I have a feeling that this was all set up by Rose Senior. So holly's often depicted as something to do with protection, um, as well as fertility. Uh, so yeah. I have a feeling what what Rose did was a spell, not to really make her a practitioner in the sense that she can use magic, but probably something to protect her even more um mm. which makes a lot of sense given that she is the loophole that lets blake have this place so she probably needs to be protected mm. um and and you know the, the whole thing of her not actually being able to do magic is classic collateral fuckery as the two <laughs> uh term rose senior's behavior um you know she's not malicious just anything bad that happens to you is collateral uh which is just seems like a perfect description of what we've seen so far yeah, and Iron for Blake, I think Iron has come up a few times this arc. Every single time it's come up this arc, it's been in reference to Iron is great for fucking with others, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's traditionally something that, that is great at killing, uh, you know, supernatural beings. So so yep. it seems like it's just being used to the same thing. But the substitution of that for Holly as a protection thing, you know, says to me that I have a feeling Rose Senior did it to help protect uh rose jr mm, interesting uh and and this also this also it's a bit of a callback to all of her wishes to be a witch hunter like instead of a practitioner mm. i think um mm. it, it would kind of be a, a bit of irony that that sort of thing ends up being done to her um when she was trying to become a practitioner anyway <laughs> yeah accidentally yeah exactly um I want to call out one other comment which I liked uh which was you know i I think wabo readers will be familiar with the typo threads uh where uh, commenters hot off the presses will help point out typos that Wabo has missed in his edits. And there's yeah. there's a specific typo thread here by uh, WM Ager, who's just kind of talking about Latin usage. Uh, so it's a typo thread just for Latin words, where WM Ager kind of specifies, oh, this Latin word seems to be in the wrong tense. This one might be the wrong gender. Yeah. This one seems a little odd as a translation. It's just a fun little comment where you learn about what Latin words mean and the little subtleties of, of the <laughs> word choices. Um, yeah, it's a great because um, WMA just sort of admits that this is just an overly nitpicky comment, but he just wants to bring it up <laughs> because it's a pet peeve of his. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a very interesting just sort of look into, you know, exactly how the rules of Latin work and, and you know, whether Wild was misusing them at all or not. Yeah. So we will add links to all of those comments in the show notes uh, down yes. below, so you can check them out yourself and find uh, see some of the replies and kickstart the discussion. Um, but that's going to do us for, for Bonds 1.7. Yeah, that's everything. So um, as we sort of talked about, uh, you know, just to repeat that announcement, uh, the packed audiobook available now on most of the good podcasting apps like iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and all that. So go check that out as well. Speedchuck's doing a great job. Yep. Uh, and if you want to check it out somewhere else, you can check it out on our website, which is <laughs> MediaMDPodcast.com, where you can also find uh, other episodes of Deep Impact, as well as our other show, Media MD. 
Yes. Um, and so we'll also have a link in the notes here to a discussion thread on Reddit uh, where we can, you know, talk about this chapter and, and you know, I'm, I'm loving all the extra insights people are bringing each week. So mm. please keep them coming. Yeah. There's some great discussion in there uh, last chapter. So make sure you're checking those out. Um, speaking of chapters, what's our next chapter, Elliot? We'll be coming back to talk about uh, Bond's the interlude. Yeah. Yes, One our first X. interlude. And so that'll be on Monday the 14th. 14th of January, so a few more days, and uh, yeah, we will see you then. Or hear you, speak to you. <laughs> yeah, speak at you. Speak at you, <laughs> true. <laughs>